This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and welcome if you are intending to be here, of course, as usual. Um, we're ticking on past uh, about 160 episodes here. Things are going to keep rolling on. I'm excited to continue doing the podcast. I've got a few returning guests who have been on the podcast before but are coming back that I'm excited about uh, here coming up in the next couple of months, so you can look forward to that too. So Darren Case, for example, is going to come back on the podcast. Marty Shankman is coming back on the podcast. Uh, Anna Gicante is coming back on the on the podcast. So I've got some really good guests that are coming back. I'm also going to, during the summer, re-release the boot camp series that we did, or the estate planning boot camp series that we did last summer. Uh, so I'll re-release that. Then it'll be easier for people to find it. It won't be like 50 episodes deep in the the interface with Apple or whatever podcast app that you use. And so we'll refresh that. It's got a, great, a lot of great content. There's a an episode sort of about uh, estate planning generally, about wills, revocable trusts, durable powers of attorney, healthcare powers of attorney, uh, with great guests and just very, very knowledgeable guests. I had a lot of fun preparing it last year, probably because I got to talk to a bunch of people that I really like and uh, but they're also just all so bright and smart, and it just is, it makes the conversation so much more easy and substantive when you're having it with very bright, very smart people. So I'll re-release uh, those episodes during the summer, in addition to the episodes that I'll have with Darren Case, Anand Kante, Marty Shankman, and others. So this thing keeps rolling on. I hope you're enjoying it, and you have a few things to look forward to, I guess, is is what I'm saying if you're enjoying this. If you're not enjoying it, then I don't think you have uh, so much to look forward to. But if you're enjoying it, um, then you have those things to look forward to, and they are coming. So just a little bit of a teaser there. Hopefully you'll uh, find some value out of it. I know I will, so I hope that 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 gives you some value as well in the same way that it, it will certainly give me value to do those episodes and have those conversations. I wanted to talk uh, today specifically about what are called regulatory discounts. And this is something that it comes up in, in more advanced planning, but it, it's something that's important just sort of in general to wrap your mind around. There, There's a common way of getting discounts on making gifts and also on, on having assets in an estate. So that common way that you may have heard about is a family limited partnership or some sort of family entity where if you make a gift of interest in that entity, then those interests are discounted for purposes of transfer taxes. And they get discounted because an appraiser looks at it and the appraiser says, well, if you took this to the open market, a third party would not pay you top dollar. They would discount it because it's it's not liquid and maybe they wouldn't have any control over the entity. And so therefore, this thing that you're, that you're gifting away maybe needs to look to a third party like it's worth less money because they're only going to pay the lower discounted price. There can also be premiums. I mean, it could, it could work the other way. Um, 
but you can have discounted values by structuring things within family limited partnerships and then gifting them away or structuring things in family limited partnerships and then dying owning a partial interest in that family limited partnership. You can also get discounts on partial interests in properties. So if you own a fractional interest in real estate, for example, an undivided interest in real estate, uh, typically the, the planning would say that you have to discount the value of that partial interest because if nothing else, it's you don't really have a, a great market for it. It's a little bit illiquid. And if you did want to liquidate the interest, you'd have to go into court and ask for what's called a partition. And there are costs involved in a partition sale and there are costs involved in the sale itself because oh, sorry there's there's costs involved in the court proceeding and there's costs involved in the sale itself because it's kind of a fire sale you don't really get the best price and so you discount down the partial interest in that real estate based on the fact that you've got these headwinds and so these sorts of discounts are are pretty normal i think sometimes we forget though that there are required regulatory discounts that are already baked into the regulations and the code. And you must use these discounts. It's it's a requirement and it's it's based on the regulations. And these are these are discounts that can be quite favorable depending on the circumstances. So the the regulations basically uh, if you're trying to pinpoint where it is, you're you're really looking at section 7520 of the code and then the regulations under section 7520 of the code. Although there are other code provisions that, that feed you into section 7520. Uh, so 7520 becomes a little bit of a spoke for valuing certain types of, uh, of interest. And in 7520, there are rules about how to value interests that are annuity interests, interests that are life estates or income interests, Interests that are remainder interests, interests that are unitrust interests, and these types of interests in properties, really types of interests in trusts, are all valued based off of a, a single interest rate, the 7520 rate. And the 7520 rate is a rate that's equal to 120% of the midterm rate of the applicable federal rate for the month in which you're doing the gift or the, the transfer. And then if you're doing a gift or transfer with one of these types of interests to a charity, you can pick the current month's 7520 rate or the two previous months 7520 rate. So you sort of, you get a, a bigger, broader scope in which to play when you're doing gifts to charity. Uh, but normal gifts to normal people, you don't get that, that room to wiggle. You just have to pick the 7520 rate that happens to apply in that month. So for example, this today is is um, June. We're in June of 2023. The 7520 rate is 4.2%. Last month it was 4.4%. So it's gone down just a little bit. The And the rate fluctuates month to month. The interesting thing is that although that's high, I mean, we had very, very low 7520 rates not too, not in the not too distant past. I mean, rates that were below 2% in the not too distant past. But these rates have historically been even higher. And so we're still actually in an era of relatively low 7520 rates, although it's not as good as when it was uh, below uh, 2%, of course, for certain types of transactions. But it's really still fairly below average. 
the way it is now. I think the average rate is somewhere closer to 5%. I haven't run that calculation in a while, but that's my vague recollection that it's somewhere around 5%. So we're kind of, we're, we're tipping just below the average. But what happens is depending on the way that you want the numbers to work out, they can work for or against you. And if you just take annuities, for example, the annuity calculation is a discounted present value calculation. And that means that the lower the 7520 right, the less discounting and the, and the higher the value of the annuity in essence. And then if the interest rate goes up, there's more discounting and therefore the smaller the value of the annuity, which means if you're targeting a per, per particular value for that annuity, you have to pay out more money in the future because it's going to get the value of the thing that you're paying out in the future is getting discounted down more the higher the rate goes up. This is very common in a, in a technique called the grantor retained annuity trust where or the charitable lead annuity trust where you put money in, money gets paid to you or to charity, you in the case of the GRAT, to charity in the, in the case of the CLAT. And you really ideally want that annuity amount to look like it's worth the most amount of money possible because the interest that gets paid out at the end of the trust term, the remainder interest, is a gift. Whatever the value of that is a gift. And you value that gift by the amount of money that goes in minus the value of the annuity, whatever's left over, that is the gift number. And usually, or the the estate number. And and usually those, in the case of a CLAT, usually in those um, transactions, you want that, that remainder amount to be as small as possible and maybe even zero. So that means if you want to ensure that there's going to be more money left over, you want to pay out the least amount in annuity payments. That happens when the 7520 rates are very low, or it happens more likely when 7520 rates are very low because when the 7520 rate goes up and you have a bigger discount in the present value of the annuity, you have to pay out more money to make it look like it's worth more money. And that's just the way the math works out. So but that so those those sorts of discounting that present value discounting is regulatory in nature it's forced on us it's not something that uh, we just make up there's also a, a kind of flip side to that which is that if you if you want the remainder interest to look bigger then sometimes you want these annuity interests to look smaller and that's really the case with a charitable remainder trust. With the charitable remainder trust, the charitable deduction is the value of the remainder interest. And so when the interest rates go up, you get a bit bigger present value discount on the interest in the remainder trust that's going to be paid to you. We've talked about these charitable remainder trusts in the past, in past episodes. Shameless plug. Um, so you, you can listen to those episodes too if you want more details on charitable remainder trust. But the idea is that Typically, you would put money into the trust. It would pay you an annuity or pay you a uni trust interest, which is just a percentage of the value of the trust every year. And then whatever's left over would go to charity. Well, if you have to discount down the value of the thing that you're getting back, it means the value that's going to charity, at least in the actuarial eyes of the IRS, is bigger, which is good because that's the value of the thing that you get to deduct for a charitable deduction. So as the 7520 rate goes up, Unlike with a GRAT, with a with a charitable remainder trust, the discounting works in your favor, and that's good. That's what you want. There's there's another type of discounting uh, that's really I think an important one, at least to understand in concept, because it's not a a thoroughly used set of discounting, and that has to do with well, there's sort of two, and and but they they in some ways run in parallel. So the first is how to value 
a private annuity. And so you can oftentimes sell assets to a trust. It's usually structured as a grantor trust or an intentionally defective grantor trust. And you can take back an annuity. And the annuity then is going to be valued typically for the, the fair market value of that asset. Again, like I was mentioning, with these annuities, they're going to be discounted for present value. And so you get you have to compress down the value of the annuity uh, the higher the 75-20 rate goes because you have to pay more money to make the annuity look like it's worth the full value of the asset. And so the 75-20 rate in some ways can work against you in those transactions, although they can often be structured in a way that the annuity payment fluctuates over time so that you, you pay less up front and you pay more on the back end of the annuity. And that'll, that allows more time for the property to appreciate in the hands of the trust. And your outcomes tend to be better, generally speaking, with some assumptions, of course. There's another, you flip it, and there's another type of interest that gets valued, but it gets valued higher when the interest rates go up, and that's a life estate. So in essence, with the life estate, you're sort of assuming a certain rate of income being paid out. And so the life estate will look like it's worth more money the higher the interest rate goes up, which is sort of the assumed income uh, that the life estate owner is going to get or the income interest owner is going to get. And so when the when the interest rates are very low, it looks like they're going to get less money and the value of the, the life estate goes down. When the interest rates are very high, it looks like they're going to get more money. So the value goes up and at least <laughs> actuarially speaking. And the the type of life estate that's quite common in terms of valuation and things that are sensitive to these valuations and things where you want to get the discount is a life estate or an income interest in what's called a, a remainder purchase marital trust. This is a trust where you would put money into the trust. The trust would pay income to your spouse for their life. And then what's left over is going to go to other family members or more likely a trust for other family members. And simultaneously on the day that you put the property into the trust, the other family members are that family trust is going to buy the remainder interest, okay? The value of the remainder interest is going to be the value of the, the property you put in the trust minus the life estate. So of course, you want the life estate to be worth more money. And as these 75-20 rates go up, you get to value the life estate at a higher price, which discounts down the value that the family or the family trust are going to have to pay for that remainder. Well, these discounts could be substantial. They could be 50% or more of, or, you know, somewhere around 50% of the value of the property, which is an enormous discount, a discount that's easily equal to aggressive discounting on family limited partnerships, if not better than even aggressive discounting on family limited partnerships. And then what happens is if the spouse dies, the income interest that they have terminates and it's not includable in their estate for estate taxes. So these sorts of trusts and this this kind of discounting can be hugely beneficial uh, when it works out. And under the right circumstances, of course, all these things are facts and circumstances dependent, of course. Um, so nothing is a is a surefire thing. But under the right circumstances, it could be a really great plan and a great planning tool. And again, there's discounting that's just built in. It, you don't even have to manufacture it. So as with a, a lot of these other techniques, this discounting happens automatically because it's regulatory. And so, for example, with the remainder purchase marital trust, you could put cash into the trust and you still get this discount on the cash, uh, which is a big benefit. 
the and the reason you get the discount, sorry, just to come full circle, is that the interest, the, the life estate or income interest that's going to your spouse, you get to deduct. It, it qualifies for the marital deduction. So the, the typical rule for the marital deduction is that if you give your spouse an interest in property and it terminates and then the property passes on to somebody else, you do not get to deduct that except under some narrow circumstances. One is a, what's called a Q-tip trust. And there's a, a handful of other circumstances that qualify. However, if when you've created that interest, the person who's getting the property on the back end pays full value, or in, in the terms of the code and the regs, adequate and full consideration in money or money's worth, so fair market value basically. So if that person that's getting the, the property after the life estate or the income interest gets gets it because they paid fair market value for it, then that life interest does qualify for the marital deduction. And so therefore, when you put the property into the trust, in these remainder purchase marital trusts, the, the gift to the spouse is free because of the deduction. And then the price that the remainder is paying is discounted by the value of what's going to your spouse. And again, those discounts could be very big and they're regulatory. They're just required. And the, the math is quite mechanical, really. Uh, you just follow the the mathematical tables that are available in the 7520 rules and regulations. And in, there's some IRS guidance that tells you how to do kind of more technical uh, adjustments to those valuations. And that's all you do. You just follow the rules and and you get those discounts. So it can be hugely beneficial. But but again, I think we, we forget about the fact that discounting and values is actually something that happens all the time and it's required and it's forced on us just purely based on the code and the regulations when it comes to transfer tax, um, transfer tax valuations. And so you don't always have to rely on manufacturing discounts, so to speak, by having family entities. There's lots of other reasons to have these family entities. So I'm not suggesting that that's the only reason to have them. And frankly, a lot of the other reasons are the, it's the whole game. It's the whole reason that uh, we do family limited partnerships. But you do, do get the benefit often of, of getting discounted values. It can it can work against you sometimes as, as, as well. Maybe there'll be a future episode to talk about the the, the pitfalls of discounting. But um, but you, you don't always have to manufacture it because you can get some of these discounts just by utilizing the regulatory rules that I've been describing. And we, we do use them all the time. We just don't always think of them as, as valuation discounts, even though that's really what they are. So typically you don't think of a charitable remainder trust as as sort of leveraging in discounting, but it does. It, it just does by its nature because of the 7520 rates and the way that the calculations for the annuity or uni trust interests work. And that's it. That's the way the, of the world. So that's maybe a bit of a reminder for people who are kind of deep in the space of the way these things work. And, and maybe it's a, uh, a lesson for people who aren't quite as acquainted but now maybe you'll view these things in slightly different light and kind of see them as tools to, to ratchet up or down values where you want them to be ratcheted up or down, depending on what the interest rates happen to be in the moment. All right. I think that's plenty for today. Thank you uh, as usual for listening, and I will see you next time. Hey, listeners, thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com. 
and follow me on social media at Love and Law. I'll see you there.